And now, ladies and gentlemen, check it out. You've got to start somewhere. The podcast that takes you behind the scenes of show business to prove there's no such thing as an overnight success. With your host, Rachel Corbett. Welcome to the show. Today, I'm chatting to journalist, newsreader, host of Weekend Today, and fellow hater of television makeup, Deb Knight. <laughs> Coming to you makeup free. <laughs> this is one of the reasons why I love you so much because I am exactly the same. I am. Str- I feel really bad actually uh, when I go down to do makeup because I mean you're on for a full show. You fill in for the Today Show. You do Weekend Today. Like you are on for the entire show. So it makes sense that you would come in and do 45 minutes of makeup. <laughs> I come in for two and a half minutes of television and I still have to do oh, 40 minutes of makeup. And then the most joyous part is ripping the makeup <laughs> off at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a fan of. TV. TV makeup mm. and I, I don't wear makeup when I'm not on TV and it's kind of good because it just, you know, my, my kids sort of say to me, you're going to work or you've come home from work. They know that it's the work thing. But yeah, I like it fresh faced, which is what I'm doing with you today. Yeah, no, that's the great <laughs> thing about audio, right? You're like, we can look yeah, however yeah, we want. I, did. I was like, is it, is it on camera? No, excellent. The makeup's coming off. Off it comes. I know. I always feel very bad for the makeup department because I come down and wipe it off immediately. And a lot yeah. of people are always like, why don't you, why don't you just keep it on and go out to lunch? And I was like, are you kidding? kidding me? I know. I can't imagine being seen in public like yeah, this. If my friend saw me with a full fa- face of makeup at lunch, they'd <laughs> yeah. be thinking, what's going on? Yeah. Is she going to court later? What's going on? Uh, so I want to go back right to the beginning of how you started in this business. You studied journalism at Charles Sturt University. I'm a member of the Mitchell Mafia. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I went to, I grew up in Coffs Harbour actually on the oh, north right. coast of New South Wales and t- had the debate whether I would move to Brisbane, which is where the bulk of my friends moved to, to go to uni or go to Bathurst. And I chose to go to a place where there's frost and it's very cold in winter. Big contrast to Coffs Harbour as a kid, but best move I ever made. Loved it. It was a really great university course and Mm. and a really great breeding ground for young journalists at that time. And it still is to this day. It's also a huge uni town. I mean, everybody that I knew that went there, it was like everybody got their own little immediate community. Yeah, it was really great, actually. And it was that sense of you went to a campus and you, I mean, I lived on, Mm. on campus for a semester and then lived in group houses and just had a really great experience. And I knew no one. I moved to Bathurst with zero friends mm. and just kind of tentatively walked into this new scene and loved it, really embraced it. So, yeah, it was great. It was really good. And, yeah, it was just a, a really great way. Lots of my mates in the industry now did go to – were in my year and, and sort of went through through Bathurst. So a great reputation and a, a good course too. Was that preference your number one, I know this is what I want to do, I'm absolutely going to do journalism, this is the path that I want? Yeah, I was always a bit of a, a nerd for wanting to be a journalist and I, I, I like writing and yeah. I, I was one of those kids at high school that used to write letters to the editor, to the Coffs Harbour Advocate newspaper, <laughs> seriously, and I had a couple published when I was like 14 and was really proud and, and I used to deliver the paper as well as a paper girl, not because I was obsessed with the media but because it was you know some pocket money but I always wanted to be doing something with the English language and I did work experience at a law firm when I was in year 10 and after photocopying lots of documents <laughs> thought this is perhaps not for me um, and yeah just thought journalism was would be great and used to watch you know yarn event on 60 minutes when I was a kid and think wow what mm. a career what a job your job is to just do really fascinating interesting things and talk to people and find out the whys 
and the what's and the where's, which is what I was always a bit inquisitive as a kid. So, yeah, I was one of those kids who wanted to be a journalist, but I didn't want to do TV. I was oh, really? Radio was sort of my first real love, actually, and I worked in radio initially. Went from Bathurst to Wagga Wagga and worked at the local commercial 2WG radio <laughs> is, station. When you're at Bathurst at the uni there, is that are they pretty big on helping you get employment or do you literally just send a tape out to everybody that you've created at Bathurst Uni or how did how did that work to get your first I've, job? Well, I've still got the cassette that I actually <laughs> sent out from my first job application. <laughs> Does it sound good? Handwritten with a little, you know, Deborah Knight. Oh, that's yeah. so cool. But no, they're very big on work placement and you would have to do a part of the final year, I think, you would do in actual work experience and I went to NBN television in Newcastle and, and worked in their newsroom Chris Bath was the uh, the oh, reader really? at the time there and yeah they're very big on the practical side of it at um, at uni which was great because I think that's the key it's you know you can learn about it on paper and they had a university radio station which still mm. operates there so I used to do a bit they had this segment called talking newspaper and oh, you would right. read out the newspaper oh, on air really? and that's it well that's part of it yeah but <laughs> No, they've got lots of practical elements to that course, which I think is key because you've got to be multi-skilled. You've got to be able to do it in the field mm. as well as know the the theory behind it as well. When you were that 14-year-old kid writing letters to the editor. <laughs> what a pain, right? What a punish. Yeah. That's one of those little precocious kids that you go, oh, oh you're yeah. going to be a real piece of yeah, work. Exactly. Um, were you a big – did you read the paper at that age? Were you really into that kind of stuff? Yeah, I used to read the paper and I used to sort of read the, um, the letters to the editor as well and – and yeah, I was just big on reading, loved reading, loved writing, loved the English language, loved doing history. And, you know, I was one of those kids. Maths wasn't up there in my skill set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I did love reading and writing. What were your, do you remember what your letters to the editor were focused I on? I was outraged about something to do with, I was a bit of a kind of greenie at that time too, something to do with chopping down trees probably. Right. Yeah, I used to have this big debate with my granddad who had worked for a time at forestry in the forestry department. So mm. we used to have these big debates about cutting trees down and stuff and, you know, oh, wow. yeah, yeah, I was, I was one of those kids were your family like politically minded or did they have those kind of discussions or really. in, no no where no. do you think that sort of interest I think came it was from through my granddad my, right. my poppy who was really um he was the rsl um head in in coffs harbour and he was sort of involved in in local council and yeah i and he's a local businessman and yeah doug knight electrical that's what he he uh, he set up. So yeah, I think I sort of followed his footsteps. But I just I just liked reading. Mm. Yeah, I used to spend a lot of time under the doona with the with the torch, reading, uh, reading, yeah. reading, reading. So yeah. Did you ever flirt with anything else other than journalism? Was there anything early on that you that you thought you might want to do? Oh, I wanted to be a rock star. You know, <laughs> I wanted to be Olivia Newton John. I loved <laughs> ONJ, and I used to have a bit of a thing for Nadia Comaneci as well. Gymnastics. Oh, I was gosh, quite sporty. Yeah. I was into gymnastics and netball and sport and stuff. But, um, yeah, not really. I just always thought journalism would be a, a great way to go. Yeah. And it was kind of during the era where there was lots of regional radio and TV was strong. There were lots of jobs. There was lots of opportunity. If my own kids wanted to go to journalism, I might sort of steer them towards other fields possibly because mm, it's, you know, it's, it's not an easy game. Yeah. So, but, yeah, I, um, I was pretty dead keen on doing that. So you were saying that radio was your your passion. What was it about that that interested you? I just like the immediacy of it mm. and that you, you know, you could just call someone up and a second later you would be able to talk to them and have them on air. Whereas with TV, 
which I love, but it's so clunky. Like it, mm. it can be so clunky. You've got to get the camera crew there. They've got to set up, get the lights. You've got to get it all kind of in place. And it's much more of a – I mean, it's a team thing and mm. it's a different skill set, but I just like the immediacy of radio. And I still do radio. I fill in now on ABC Radio and 2UE and in Sydney and I um, I love it. Mm. And, and I just think it's great because you can get that instant feedback from, from listeners as well, which you can on TV now with email and social media to a lot a lot of degree but um yeah it's just it's immediate and yeah. that's what i love about it yeah i would say like there's no other place where you can have a direct line to your favorite personality or your favorite uh, person yep. on in media that you can't ring somebody on the television right now unless you're doing the old unless they ring you and you've got to say i wake up with today exactly right <laughs> you yep. know but in radio you can literally call a number and be talking to the people that you listen to every day in a couple of minutes yeah. um, and there's a real connection there to the people that you like on the radio that I think just doesn't happen in other media yeah it's very it's a very intimate medium mm. I think for for that regard and it's and it's going strong and I think the the reason that I love working on the today show and weekend today is that we're, we're to a degree we're like radio with pictures because we do try and interact so much with with the listeners and we encourage people on the weekend today show to send in emails sending pictures sending photos and video we, you know, mm. we are often asking questions about, you know, what's your sending the favorite, how you're spending your Saturday morning, what's the weather like at your place, send us a photo, and it's a lot like that that radio sense of, you know, give us a call on on the feedback number, mm. but you do it on the email as well. What were you doing at uh, at Two WG? What 2WG. kind of work? <laughs> um, I was working in the newsroom yep. at Two WG, and I had this great mentor, Sandra Norris was her name, and she was the first person who gave me a job. And she was in her 50s, I think, um, late 50s. Mm. And she had actually come back into the workforce and she just knew so much about journalism and she was ballsy and gutsy and told it to you straight but was a really – she just encouraged you. And she kept saying to me, look, it's great you've got this job in Wagga but you need to just spend a year or two here and move on and and get everything out of it that you can. And it was such a great learning thing because you did everything. You would go and interview the local police and then you would go to do the local show story, the local fruit story because it was a big in the Riverina fruit growing area and then you would edit it yourself then you would read it to air you did it all and you learnt so much and I loved it it was mm. really really great and I'm, I was there for a year and um, we also worked on the FM radio station which was established in town at the time but it was great and made some really good mates who are still because I think Wagga Wagga and a lot of the regional centres were really good learning centres and, and great breeding grounds for up and coming journos. I'm always interested in the evolution of somebody's newsreader voice <laughs> purely because I tried it once when I was at Triple M and they were sort of I was a bit warehoused on a contract and they needed to shove me somewhere and they put me in the newsroom and it was the most <laughs> horrific thing yeah. I was trying so hard to sound normal and natural and every single time I just sounded like somebody who was trying to be a newsreader and I, I even when I thought no 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 I've got this one it sounds super conversational I'm nailing it people would come in and just go that well, who are you really? when you get behind that microphone so I always find it such an amazing skill to come across not sounding like a newsreader yeah. but to do it naturally but to be able to sort of 
you know, balance between being impartial and delivering the news and still being conversational. Did you find that hard to develop or? Well, I, I think it's really hard to just have your own voice. And I think that's the mistake that a lot of people mm. make that they, you know, as I said, Yarn Event was the icon when I was growing up. And a lot of people would try and bung on their Yana voice yeah. when they were doing, you know, reading the news or, or reading a, a story or even just being a journo in the field. And I think that the key to it, which is what I've always had in the back of my mind, is to try and have your own voice. And you've got to be clear, you've got to be succinct, you've got to put the emphasis on the right you know, <laughs> syllable, words, yep. on right syllables <laughs> and the pronunciation correctly. But uh, yeah, I just, I think you've just got to try to have your own voice to some degree, which I'm fortunate in that, you know, I don't, I mean, I was for many years a, a journo in the field and then a, a straight newsreader. Mm. Um, but I think that if on a show like the Today Show where you do speak in your own voice and you can become your own person is yeah. really helpful too. And then I think taking that across to being a newsreader is quite helpful as well. And I think also as I've gotten a bit older, I just think I can relate a lot to the stories that I'm reading about. So I think that's key too mm. is that you've got to you've got to have some sort of – empathy and and knowledge about the stories that you are delivering to the audience you can't just read it like a robot Mm. on the auto cue which i think a lot of people are so fearful when they're behind the camera sort of rabbit in the headlights that they're just reading the words but not thinking about the the meaning behind the words so there's a gravitas to the moment when you're you know for some people i think that's very overwhelming absolutely and it's terrifying but you've got to channel that you know, I think it, it's a performance to some degree, mm. but you've got to remember that you're delivering really important information to people. So you're the conduit and you just have to try and try and deliver it without being distracting, A, and without just sort of twisting the words into sort of a weird way of delivering them. I just try to try to keep as natural as I can, but try and be as clear as I can as well because I think that's important. You were saying that uh, you stayed there at 2WG for a year. Then was then the move to mix, is that? Yeah, so then I got a um, – on the encouragement again from the from the news director in Wagga, she was always encouraging me to apply for other jobs, which I think was really quite that's enlightening. Nice. She'd yeah. say, there's a job going in Sydney here at this radio station, you need to put in an application and go for it. And she was always at me and it was great, you know, because not many – bosses would be doing that but she sort of really liked to see people succeed so yeah I applied for a job at uh, at Mix 106.5 mm-hmm. in Sydney which was the FM radio station at the time and that was a huge culture change too because it was the the day when the execs at the FM radio stations I probably still do would wear those kind of jackets with the leather on the sleeves and the ratings would come in and it would be high fives all round and champagne and it was sort of you know the height of that kind of party time yeah when money was being spent and ratings were king which it still is to some degree but I just remember as a young kid just going wow look at Mm. this world that I've just stepped into I didn't last long I was at mix for three months oh is that all (laughs) it was a short stint at mix Um, why were you only there for that well then another job came up which I applied for at the ABC so I just sort of kept this you know kept looking as I was being encouraged to do in Wagga to look in the for the job ads and I kept doing that how was that shift to Cap City from regional because that's a big change yeah it was huge and it was a really good learning experience because you know and I used to see the because I was sort of wasn't the main newsreader I was sort of doing weekends and backfilling behind the key newsreader on that breakfast slot and every bulletin they would sit down and analyze it after the show and there was lots and lots of introspection and looking at the product that they were putting out and you know these are short bulletins on an FM station where music is king but they were really looked at it really closely and I just 
the, the ethic and the work ethic behind it was really strong, you know, regardless of the medium. So, you know, you were delivering the news, you had to do it to the audience and you had to tailor your news reading to that audience too. Yeah, and I learned a lot. I, I really enjoyed it. It was great. News is still a very important part of FM broadcast, but it's delivered in a very different Completely way. Completely different way. Yeah. Um, how did you find that difference? And were when you went to the ABC, were you sort of thinking, oh, that's kind of more the area that I want to focus on? Or? Well, yeah, at the time I did because I wanted to be more of a journalist on the road rather than just read. I wanted to have the skills where you could collect the news as well as read it so and yeah I wanted to be a a journo first and foremost and I didn't want to get just put into that typecast of being a newsreader um but I I was a good learning it was good to do and I used to sit in the taxis driving around Sydney and hear you know because we'd we would pre-record some of the elements of it Mm. um and I'd hear myself on the radio in Sydney and I was so excited (laughs) and I'd say to the taxi drivers that's where I work oh really that's me on the radio You know, I was very, very, very proud about it all. It was exciting. But, no, look, I think, yeah, definitely. And and I think that each each news bulletin, you know, as a journo, you can't be sort of – you can't hold yourself above it and think that you're above it. I think you can learn from any element of the workforce that you go into. And if you take that approach, I just – you know, I think that's the healthiest way of going about it. Yeah, and all of that stuff I always think is just like extra stuff in the blender that helps you ship out stuff in the future you know you see how if you understand and have experience developing things for different mediums for different audiences if you understand how things get put together it just helps you later on in life because there is an element of that uh fm-ness in commercial television and things like the today show you know and it's also just appealing to different audiences and and being able to tailor your reporting accordingly and Mm. i think that's you know you've you've got to deliver to some degree what you think the audience want to hear. Were you chuffed to get into the ABC? Because I feel like the ABC, if you're like, I want to be a journalist, is you know a place where you go, oh, I'm a journalist, yeah, I'm at the ABC. No, I was I was very chuffed. It was interesting though because I was offered, when I first finished uni, I was offered a, it was like a scholarship type role that they had at the ABC at Radio National working on a show there. It wasn't paid. Mm. It was like an unpaid internship type role, which then possibly would have led to, to, to paid employment. And I chose not to take that up. I went to the to Wagga Wagga instead. But yeah, when I got into the ABC, I, I, my first gig was at in the rural department, being a rural reporter. And when I applied for the job, I was just like, you know, I'm from Coffs Harbour. I didn't know much about farming, but I was like, okay, well, I'm going to find out all. I researched the hell out of it and mm. found out all that I could, played up the banana growing element, you know, know all about bananas, <laughs> love bananas, big banana, Coffs Harbour. Um, but yeah, and I just threw myself into it and, and got the job, surprisingly, in the rural department. And there's been some fantastic. Uh, reporters, Phil Williams at the ABC started out in the rural department, Sally Sara. There's so many really great journos mm. and still, you know, in the rural department who are so strong. And it's a, that, again, is another really good training ground too. Were you on the road a lot? I was based in Sydney, so yeah. I was doing the national rural news out of Sydney, so not a great deal initially. And um, but So I what does that involve in well, terms of researching for those stories? Are you literally just in contact with regional news centres? and Yeah, so very much so. Mm. So all of the, the regional reporters would feed stories to the national rural news, which then we would present. But lots of the peak body industry bodies are based out of Sydney, so I'd be down at the you know National Farmers Federation doing interviews right. with key, you know, with a bear with their figures that would come out and 
yeah, it was it was great because again, it was learning about something I didn't know much about, and I just found it really interesting because mm. you know. But I was I was also a um, a vegetarian at the time, which was oh, interesting. Yeah. Going to uh, Beef Week <laughs> as a vego, and um, you don't know, tell anyone. Yeah, don't tell anyone. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I loved it. It was really really good. I was so I was doing radio, doing on the road reporting, and as well as presenting. So yeah. did you ever actually? I'll just quickly touch on the vego thing. You're not a vego anymore. I'm not a vego anymore. It was more of just a again I was a bit of an idealistic teenager so I was like right I'm going to be a vego and then when I went to uni it was cheaper yeah (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I wasn't a strict vegetarian but yeah I used to sort of embraced it for a while yeah I went 10 years without red meat and then got to the point where I was so anemic I went from the doctor to the butcher and I have not looked back yeah right no no I'm I'm very much a a consumer of the animal products these days (laughs) Um, so in terms of that just going back to that sort of fork in the road moment when you went to Wagga and the ABC and you had that choice of going to the ABC obviously you ended up at the ABC anyway but was there ever a moment where you thought geez maybe I should have taken that well, ABC yeah gig? there was because my all my mates from Bathurst pretty much went to Sydney a lot of them went you know again I moved to a town where I knew no one mm. and you know it took me a while to settle into Bathurst and then you know all the friends that I made my boyfriend at the time they were all in Sydney and that's a good five hour drive you know and I would go on weekends to yeah, Sydney right. from Wagga and yeah I, I knew no one but it but I was just really ballsy I guess I kind of look back and think wow that's gutsy to have done but what was it about that particular opportunity well I just thought again it, it was paid which yeah, was a, a, good, a good helpful element <laughs> yeah. and it was really I just thought I could end up doing Radio National it, it just seemed like it wasn't where I wanted to end up initially it was somewhere where I would love to have worked when I was in my 30s mm-hmm. maybe but as a sort of I think I was only 19 at the time I was like right or 20 at the time I, okay I want to I want to actually get in and to be a bit more hands-on because I knew that in the in the cap, capital city city markets you didn't really have to do as much yourself because you were down the pecking order, whereas yep. in the regionals, you did it all. You had to, Everything. and that really appealed to me. Uh, being at the ABC, uh, you were how? What were you doing after the rural no, rural? That's a really it's hard thing one. to the say. Rural news, the rural, <laughs> rural news. Well, I worked on um, on Country Hour and then the sort of national rural news for about a year, I guess, and then I I um, got an offer to work on Landline, which I just jumped at because Landline is such a iconic program in Australian TV mm. and the pictures are beautiful and a lot of the camera operators and editors on landline are former camera crews who worked as international correspondents you know worked in in the field and they know their staff and they're really great and I wanted to branch out and do some TV and so it was a an offer to host to present the show as well as be a reporter and I hadn't done any practical in the field tv reporting so I wanted to kind of learn that skill and so I jumped at it so again moved to a city that I knew well I knew a few people in Brisbane but moved from Sydney to Brisbane to host Landline. How was that do you remember what that first hosting time was like when you were well, first again, hosting? I had you should see the publicity photos from the day it's <laughs> like you know I had this kind of crazy speaking of hair and makeup this yeah. crazy sort of coiffed hair <laughs> and and <laughs> the makeup and yeah it's a real I've got I've got the little fan cards that used to get made up to give out to people oh, <laughs> Back in the day at home, it's pretty funny. But yeah, it, it was it was terrifying being behind the camera because again, it's you're not just talking into a microphone. You're talking in a studio. There are people behind the cameras, people in the control room. There's so many many more elements 
in the process to behind TV, which takes a bit more to get comfortable with. Was there any training up to the point of, or was your first sort of crack at it at a live show or like pretty a much, yeah, show? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's we, you pre-recorded on yeah. a Friday and it goes through on the Sunday, and yeah, I just sort of got into it, which was really, you know, leap of faith for them to to ask me to do it. But I loved it and it was great. And because it was reporting as well as presenting, that appealed to me because I wanted to learn how to make TV. And it is a skill. It's funny because I find in the pecking order of in journoland, there mm. seems to be this sort of snobbery or there was traditionally newspaper journos would think that TV journos are all prima donnas and they don't really know what they're talking about. And you know, But the, there is a lot to go into making good TV. You've got to know what the – you've got to write to your pictures. You've mm. got so, you know, you don't have to write everything word for word. You look at your pictures and you have to incorporate that into the story and let the pictures tell half of your yarn. Mm. So that was a really good skill to learn. Were you writing for that as well yeah. and doing yeah, it yeah. right? So, so that's I was great. out doing stories and, you know, driving off to do stuff on the avocado farmers of the New South Wales hinterland and, you know, it, yeah, it was really great. I really enjoyed it. And, again, getting to go to Beef Week, you know. <laughs> very important, <laughs> very important. It's interesting with live, uh, well, any telly, live recording, whatever it's it's you can't you can't really get the skills for it until you do it um but of course to do it for that first time without much of a training it's yeah. sort of like being thrown in the deep end and and just going Bleh. but obviously at that point with all of that experience that you'd had doing the stuff on radio and reporting a lot and you know all of that adds into sort of being able to sit behind a desk and do what some people would look at and go how could you even possibly yeah. do that but you kind of put all those pieces together and go I can do this yeah and I think I was actually more fearless than I am now. Yeah. I just sort of would would leap into things and mm. think, oh, yeah, I'll give this a go. Well, I mean, I do that very much now too, but I just sort of didn't think much about it and just mm. thought, oh, yeah, I'll give it a go. Give it a go. So you were doing the radio at the same time as that as well? No, then I just worked on Landline for a year and um, and I sort of did a bit of uh, – over summer I would fill in a bit on radio as well because um, I'm always one for leaping at new opportunities. I have problems saying no oh, is I think one of my both. elements. I kind of get offered things and I – and I think, oh, yeah, I'll do it. But then don't think about how I'm going to make my life work around that. And I'm I'm guilty of that to this day. Having done 11 days straight, yeah. today's show and 6pm news in Sydney during school <laughs> yeah. holidays, I've just come off that stint. <gasps> so yeah, I'm still guilty of that today. But you know what? I'm of the view that I think you've got to grab every opportunity presented to you and run with it because I've been at the other end where I haven't had contracts renewed, which we can talk a bit about, but I've... I've, I've sort of faced that and had to deal with that when your career can possibly come to an end. Mm. And I always have that in the back of my mind. I'm, I don't take it for granted yeah. because it can be taken away for you at any minute. Well, that is ever present. I don't know how anybody says no to anything. I'm exactly the same. Because yeah. you, you're right, when you've been in those situations where you haven't had the work coming in, you think, okay, even if I need to stay up for four and a half days straight, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make I'm this happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I just do not take it for granted for that reason. Do you find that the radio, I think, uh, people that I've worked with in radio, I find the transition across to television that uh work in a live radio environment particularly if you've done you know presenting and stuff like working because you worked did you have you presented shows on radio national done the filling and stuff yeah. not just the news reading and the reporting yeah, so but I also hosting over, over a summer period doing radio national breakfast the show yeah. that frank kelly does now which is full on because you've got to be across 
big issues, big world events, and they don't do a lot of the lighter fluff. You know, mm. they do that, the meaty interviews, and I did that for a summer, and that was I loved it. It was terrifying, but yeah. it was really great. But for that that sort of stuff, I think is so useful when you do television, yeah. particularly live television, because you have the skills. If the set falls down and everything goes off, you can just keep going yeah. and keep talking. And I think that's such a skill that is so useful when you do television. Um, that coming up through radio can be so yeah. beneficial. And I think I fill in and I, I still do on ABC Radio Sydney, previously 702, you know, on occasion whenever they, they have me basically. Mm. And, and I actually really think that the skill set, as you say, required for that, just thinking on your feet, pivoting, trying to work out where you're going next, as well as doing all the panelling because you do all the panelling. So your brain has to go in all sorts of directions. Mm. And then it actually helps refine the TV side of things because, yeah, you just have to take an issue, run with it, get across complex issues, lighter issues, and move through a whole range of subject matter um, over the course of a three-hour period. And then to take that into TV, it's really helpful. Mm. I I think it's really important to have... A broad range of skills that you know the days of just having a news reader who just comes in and reads the bulletin no one does that anymore yeah. you know that doesn't exist or if it does it's very rare I think most people have a range of skills and practice those skills to survive in the industry the way it is today and to have the ability to be a 30 second expert on everything yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. you're going to be on a panel talking about this excellent yeah you've got I'll talk about it Ad infinitum. Here's an article about the situation in Syria. Could you yeah, solve it in discuss, two and a half minutes? Discuss. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a skill to always have something to say. So from the ABC, then you moved to 10? Yes, so I worked in ABC for, oh, I think it was about two years. And then I, yeah, then as part of Landline, it was during the election cycle and John Howard came on the show and I interviewed him, which was absolutely terrifying while he was the Prime Minister and I had to get across these very specific issues for the rural sector. And, you know, I, I kind of, it worked, it was fine. And I, at the time, Paul Bongiorno was the political editor for the 10 Network in Canberra. And when you do, the, whenever you interview the Prime minister all of the transcripts and all the interviews go to all of the journos in the press gallery yeah. so he saw that interview they had a job going at the time and um and they got in contact and offered me a gig in in Canberra so again I packed <laughs> my bags the nomad that I am and, and moved from Brisbane to Canberra going again from a warm sunny city yep. to freezing cold, cold. One, <laughs> and went into the press gallery what did you think when you got that call Oh, I just thought, wow, it's Paul Bongiorno. Yeah. You know, he's a legend of the game. And, again, it was uh, – I, I was loving doing Landline, but I'm, I'm always wanting new opportunities and new experiences and thought, okay, right get And to work in the press gallery in that sort of political environment, I, I love politics. I find it really fascinating and interesting. And – yeah, just thought, righto, I'll leap at this one. Good example of why you don't say no to anything because you never know what that thing is going to be. That you, you know, I mean, okay, that an interview with a with the uh, prime minister is always going to be something that's going to be high profile and seen by a lot of eyes. But for that thing to be the reason that somebody calls you and says mm. we want to put you in Canberra, like that's that's that I think at the base of it is one of the reasons why a lot of people don't say no to anything yeah. because you just don't know what that. Thing thing is going to be yep. that somebody sees that th- makes them think, 
oh, we'd like to offer you something yeah, over here. and what it could lead to and what new opportunities could come as a result of it. But, I mean, I, I had second thoughts about it and uh, I just always wanted to cover politics in some degree in my career. I mean, I've never, I'm have never i never one of those people who's had a, a plan or a blueprint about where I go. I just take the opportunities as they come and, yeah, I kind of figured that would be a no-brainer to work in the press gallery. How was that experience? Because I guess in some ways it's like another min- – it's like a – no, not a mini Bathurst. It's like a huge Bathurst. It's like another experience of a whole bunch of people who've gone down there to report on yeah, that. There. It's a bubble. It's yeah. a bubble. And it's very much a bit like a university cycle in that a lot of the a lot of the older journos have been there forever and mm. stay put and that's their home. But a lot of the younger – political reporters stay for a couple of political cycles they'll stay for an election or two so it's a bit like they'll finish their degree and then move on to something else so it's a transient uh, population and then you've got the sort of the stalwarts who have been there for for years and years but I I loved it Mm. absolutely loved working in Canberra and again knew not a soul and drove into Canberra. I drove my little Honda Civic, my little nurse's car. I feel like every single person I've spoken to on this show has a hon- had a Honda Civic. Well, you know, it's a good Aussie classic. It's like the journo's car. I don't know. Well, I drove my little my maroon Honda Civic from Brisbane down to Canberra and arrived in Canberra on a Sunday and thought, "What? where is everyone? What's going on? And because Canberra has its little, you know, centres civic in the heart and then the little the little um, suburbs have got their ta- their shops mm. the, the local Kingston shops or the Narrabunda shops where people congregate and I kind of thought is it a public holiday where is everyone and then you'd go to the shops and everyone would be there and I, when I first drove there I thought what have I done you know I just I didn't know people and I thought what, what am I doing here um, and it took a while but yeah I had kind of pivoted and adapted in the past so you know it didn't take long and everyone's quite welcoming there too yeah like they do people do take you under their wing and are quite generous in giving their advice and help along the way it's not that closed shop which i think a lot of the city metro-based newsrooms are so competitive and they take it heart to heart and take it quite personally whereas in canberra you go out and have dinner and drinking with your your colleagues and with your competitors from the other networks and you're all mates mm. and you're all sort of you you have a very healthy competition and you want to outdo each other but you people have the ability to be mates and, and move beyond that too which is great I guess in Cap City, particularly in a market like Sydney, everybody wants to stay. So it's like this is the, this is where we want to be. But in Canberra, if it's that transient sense, everybody knows, hey, we're here for a, a good yeah. time, not a long time, and we've all come down here with nobody else. So it, it breeds a more um, collaborative relationship because everybody's in the same boat. Yeah, and you share, you know, you're living in share accommodation with other journos and cameramen, and you know, and it it can breed a lot of uh, romance as well yeah, which happens course, and my course. well my husband I met in Canberra Did in the press um, while I was there yeah so th- there is very much a mm. lot of that that goes on but I mean and that's part of the cri- criticism of the press gallery is that everyone is on top of each other and you can't really relate to average punters because you do live in this bubble 
Um, but it means for you have a great time mm. as well. <laughs> it's is, a great way to live. I guess is it, it does it feel kind of um, important in some way to oh, be at hugely, the centre of yeah, yeah, yeah. Australian and politics? I just thought it was extraordinary. You know, you'd be walking around the you know Parliament House through the, the Senate, through the the reps, walking through, just thinking, wow, you know, I'm in the press gallery in Canberra. Mm. I just I was really struck by it and. And loved it. And working on, I worked on, I think, two elections and or three elections. And it was great because you were out in the road and it was just, you'd be gone for sort of that whole election period on the bus, traveling on the plane with all of the other journos and, you know, interviewing the prime minister or the opposition leader. And it was it was overwhelming at times, but it was fantastic. It it's was also great. good when now, I mean, politics is always forever on, on telly going to be something that you need to comment on and, and put your two cents yeah. in and have an opinion about. But actually having an insight into how it works in those halls is yeah. something that not a huge amount of people do. And I think we, we all pass judgment without ever having been in Canberra. So actually having that insight is very helpful. Yeah, and it's and it's good. And a lot of the people that I worked with at the time are still in the industry and, and are really good mates to this day and yeah I formed great friendships learnt a lot froze my butt off yeah. outside the doors of, of Parliament House and the Senate you know on winter mornings it mm. was really cold but um yeah I just yeah and, and met my husband so lots happened during that that period of time so then moving across to the US was that what happened after Canberra it was so then I got an offer from Network 10 to well actually I was in Washington when September 11 happened and I was with the part of the press gallery pool covering John Howard's visit to Washington when the attacks happened wow and so what was that like being there when that happened it was surreal and and quite like to this day I sort of have can remember the emotions that I felt at the time because we were the press conference was happening after the attacks in the morning John Howe was giving a press conference and if the windows behind him in the hotel that we were in which is sort of adjacent to the White House had have been open you would have seen the planes going into the Pentagon behind him you know it was in it was a few kilometers away but wow. it was all you know I thought the world was ending you know it was that feeling of what is going on and when will this end there was sort of no I had no concept of what might have happened next and there were people in tears because they knew people who worked in the pentagon and people we were evacuated from the hotel to the australian consulate and as as reporters but i went into this it's funny how you react in various situations and i just went into this real is everyone okay mode and wanting to my cameraman are you okay make contact with your family to let them know and i was sort of reporting back because we were on air at the time for channel 10's late news so i was reporting back on the phone about Mm. what was happening um it was and i was a green young journo it was one of my first overseas trips and yeah, just that's a sort of, huge thing to be covering. It was a huge thing to be covering, and it really did shape my career. You know, as a journalist, to be on the ground covering something like that um, had a big impact. There's almost oh, I don't I want to word this properly because I don't want to sound uh, disrespectful. To there's almost. Uh, Addictive is the wrong thing to say, but as a journalist, you know, you're there's something about being a part and being the person that reports those big, big stories. That you know, being a part of that, yes, it's horrible, and there's all yep. this awful stuff happening around. But I don't know, there's there's something I could imagine that's very addictive about being in the centre of that and having to having 
the opportunity, that's a horrible word to use, but having been there at the time and and being in the centre of something that we all watched from the outside on TVs and stuff, but actually having the ability to, uh, even when you move forward, be able to recall things and say, well, actually, I was in the middle of Washington in the, you know, yeah. having that experience. I don't know. It's It, it adds something. Well, absolutely. I mean, you're right. And we know that from journos who go, go and cover wars and, mm. and who are – you know, frontline foreign correspondents, they find it really difficult to, it's a bit like soldiers in the field, to go back to normal life mm. in the sense that, you know, it is your emotions and your adrenaline is at operating at peak. So to then go back to the everyday is quite difficult to do. So mm. for me, to for, I learned a lot covering that story and also just learn a lot about myself but also learned a lot watching other people do it too because I was you know in the press gallery pool with these seasoned journos who had covered a lot of stuff over their years and so I was you know watching to a degree what they were doing as well as as covering the story myself so again it was it was a learning experience and that was that, that happened when I was in the process of talking to Channel 10 about becoming the US correspondent so it sort of you know, I was glad that I was then able to be to move there and be based in the US during that really transformative time in American politics and just global politics because the world changed so much as a result of that one terrorist attack mm. that then led to so many changes in, in, in America, which I was then able to witness and report on. What were those? It was three years that you were over there? Yeah, was it? it was three and, a, three and a half years. What and, were those years like? Oh, it was uh, extraordinary. Mm. It was amazing. My Then my husband, who was then my boyfriend, came along as well, and we were based in Los Angeles. Um, and it was, I think, I arrived in... Um, in the beginning of the year, which is the start of the Hollywood Awards season. So I think one of the first stories that I went and covered was the Oscars, going wow. to the red carpet and <laughs> just seeing Meryl Streep in the flesh. You know, there's it's a long way Nicole from 2WG. I know, right? You know, Russell Crowe, Rusty over here in yeah. Australia. And that was one of the first jobs that I went and covered. And and again, that that job was just wonderful because you would cover such a broad range of stories. You would do the Oscars one day, you would do Attack on Iraq the next, you would do a hurricane or a, a major storm the next minute, you would do the death of Ronald Reagan. And always you just have to keep pivoting on your feet and getting the information and consume, you know, trying to translate the information, trying to get to the spot in the US, jumping on planes. It was highly highly stressful exciting. time because there was a lot going on really exciting time mm. um and yeah it was it was great how does that work over there are you a part like does channel 10 have a bureau that's based there or is there like an international something the way all journals journos kind of go how does no. it work well when i was there the channel 10 had a bureau in um in culver city in los angeles part of pacific television which is often when you see the various movie stars doing interviews or anyone doing interviews into programs like the Today Show or into various shows, they would go to this sort of hub 
which was a studio where they would do interviews from and we had an office in the the channel 10 office that would do that so yeah it was this it was you know weird it was this little office Mm. little pokey office with a bunch of tv monitors that we would record a lot of feeds on you and the myself and the cameraman pretty much we just worked together all the time if you didn't get on with your cameraman you're in trouble because you were with them living with with your own family yeah um and yeah you would something would happen and you would have to make the decision because people would be asleep in Australia, you know, the news bosses, you'd try and make contact, but often you'd just have to go and say, right, this big issue's happened, big stories happen, I've got to go, and then you would call them from there. So there was a lot of uh, responsibility involved with that too because, you know, you're spending the network's money mm. and so you had to make sure that it was the right yarn and the right call. What Obviously September 11 is a huge story, but were there any stories over there that stand out as moments where you're like, wow, this is huge? Yeah, oh, look, so many. And I also was during the uh, the election periods in the US, I was at the Democratic Convention when Barack Obama was first, first spoke as a – as a senator from wow. Chicago. So he was, you know, that was when he was being touted as this upcoming new political potential leader. Was he impressive? Hugely yeah. impressive, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that was a moment that stood out you know, in hindsight. Um, just, I mean, there's so many. It was sort of hard to kind of keep tabs of it. The de- when Ronald Reagan died to go and see that, in the funeral and the procession, that was a really memorable moment too, that political history. But um, yeah. You were reporting on the Iraq war. Did you yeah. ever go over there? Didn't and go over no? there, no, but was in Washington a lot. We did a lot of uh, – spent a lot of time in Washington when that was going on. So, no, I did not go to Iraq, much to my family's – they were very relieved oh, about I that. They were. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was talking to Lee Sales about her time um, in Washington as well. And well, she, she was in Washington when I was. You we were in there. there. Yeah. yeah. So we went to Guantanamo Bay together yeah, right. as well. So we went and covered that the the ongoing trial with David Hicks. That was a really interesting time too. So mm. yeah, Lee Sales was there. Lisa Miller was there. Carl Stefanovic was in the, in the US for a while while I was over there as well. That's kind of so, nice and to Michael have. Michael Usher was there too. So oh, right. again, and all these guys are really good mates. Yeah. And again, a similar scenario to the press gallery in that you you were tough competitors, but you would hang out together because often you would go to the same city to cover the same story, and you'd all sort of go out and have dinner afterwards and a few drinks afterwards as well. It's nice to have those relationships where you've worked with people in that capacity, and then they go on to their own success, and yeah. you've all got that shared past yeah, um, it's together. Good. It's really good. But Lee was saying that when you know there's a there's a sense when you've been in Washington, when you come back to Australia, that you you have to recalibrate because covering Australian politics is a bit like covering Dubbo Council. <laughs> it's like well, yeah. because you're at the centre. I mean, it's it's true. You are at the centre of the universe, uh, as a wankier phrase it is, as it is, when you are in Washington covering stuff yep. from that. There is yep. a sense of hugeness about that. Well, so you know, you're in the White House. You're exactly. in the press room. Yeah. And, you know, there's the, the US president. But I think that's the case with with all of those foreign postings because it is, as I said, so exciting and mm. so amazing that you, you're going to have to pinch yourself every now and then and, again, reality check that it is just quite as – a, as a prof- you know, from a professional point of view, as a journalist, it's extraordinary that you have the opportunity to cover those stories and have that as your job. But also just from a personal point of view as well, like, you know, I've, I remember just driving down – the 101 in Los Angeles in my little work car, my Jeep, which, you know, I'd never had a work car before. I was, you know, it was thinking, 
wow, look yeah. at this, look at me. I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles, I'm in the US. Yeah. And this is my job. They're paying me to <laughs> yeah. do this. Does anyone know what's going yeah. on? Yeah. Am you I going to get found out yeah, at any point? Yeah. Mm. But yeah, absolutely. And I think coming home is a difficult transition. And, a lot, you know, I've got mates who, um, who have to keep going back to being, you know, to that level of it. They can't make that transition. It's quite difficult. Was so, that a choice to come home? I would have stayed for longer if I could, but the network, which I think is a is the correct view to have. Oh, they have a three they, or four yeah, year Yeah, they term try and cycle yep. it through. Um, they have, I mean, I know with, with Channel 9, Rob Penfold, who is the sort of doyen, and he, he was such a great mentor for me and to all people who are based in the US, regardless of the network that you're with. Mm. Um, you know, the, there are guys like that, Lisa Miller at the ABC, who are pretty much based overseas permanently for as long as they want to be you know I think that's I think it's great but I think from my point of view it was good because after that four or five year mark it does reach that point where where's home now yeah you know and I loved it living in LA I think when you're a when you go there on holiday sometimes people think this is a weird city but living there was great it was Mm. a highly livable city when you came home and you you came to read news for 10 how did the shift to nine happen so I came back from LA and I was a reporter on the road for, for 10 for a year or so. And again, I had some great opportunities. So I went to Rome when the Pope died and the re-election of the new Pope. Oh, wow. So, I was oh, over so you saw the smoke? Yeah. The coming I saw out the of smoke, there. you know. So I got some great opportunities <laughs> yeah. um, still. And I was, uh, you know, I was based in Rome for a month. Like, Oh, that's oh, cool. Thank you very much. Yeah. That was very, very cool. Um, and then, so then Jessica Rowe, who was the reader of the 5 o'clock news at the time, she moved to Channel 9 to work on the Today Show and mm. so that job came up and I was sort of filling in in that role in that capacity at the time and so I was offered that full time and I worked um, presenting the 5 o'clock news, you know, the flagship show on 10 for a couple of, well, a few years. I can't remember how many. I'm really bad with numbers and oh, dates. Yeah. And all Who comes. can remember? So I worked on that role for a while <laughs> and loved it and worked alongside Ron Wilson and Bill Woods and, you know, it was it was great. Really enjoyed it. It was, it was that kind of working with another person in a presenter capacity. Again, another skill set. You, you're not just reading it solo. Mm. When you're reading it with another person, you have to sort of change your pace and your delivery accordingly. So, again, learning stuff. And my after 11 years with the 10 Network, my contract came up and I thought I was being taken out to dinner to talk about my pay rise, you know, thinking, cool, they're taking me out to dinner and was told your contract will not be renewed, which came as a huge shock to me mm. out of the blue. Didn't expect that at all. And Was there any reason for it? Well, or? it was at the beginning of the cutbacks that started to happen at, at at Channel 10 right. and so they had cut the late news that was axed altogether they needed to lose some uh, some people number wise and my contract was up so yeah it uh, again and was told okay well you've in three weeks or so that's it and that just completely knocked me for six off my off my access to some degree because I thought wow you've invested so much time and money in me in this network and you're going to cut me loose that's Mm. that was kind of gobsmacking to me um but but you know fortunately the way hindsight's a beautiful thing and I kind of hit the phones and rang around my kind of network and you know just went meetings and caught up with various people and then Channel 9 um, took me on which 
you know, in hindsight, was the best move I could have made. How long between leaving 10 and starting 9? It felt like 20 years. (laughs) And it was probably only about three or four weeks. That's it? Yeah, it wasn't long at all. So I had. Oh, my goodness. You work the phones good. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of of went hard. But it wasn't a long, you know, the gardening leave that I was put on wasn't Mm. long at all. But. yeah, it was a really difficult time because I had had my um, my second child at the time and she I'd come back from maternity leave and she was little and we had just finished some home renovation so I had bills and I just mm. thought, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen here? But, um, yeah, Nine took me on. Thank you, Channel Nine. <laughs> and, um, and I haven't looked back since. And so. the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, just, just quickly, we're coming to the end here, but I just wanted to ask you about, I know you've been quite public about the going through IVF and that kind of stuff. And I often think in, in uh, I was talking to Sarah Harrison, she was saying when she was starting to think about having kids that it kind of concerned her that how what it would actually do to her career. She had a sense of, oh, I wonder if Channel 10 will stick with me. And, and it, it has, it's, she's been fine since then. But the other side of that too, I think in this job in particular, being a mum, uh, you know, often people say, oh, that's going to ruin your career. I think in television it helps oh. because you all of a sudden are able to relate so much to the audience and not only just from being a mum but also going through something that uh, – a lot of not well a lot of people do go through it but to have that shared experience with people and something that's quite emotional and quite difficult and being able to relate to that do you feel like that's helped you as a broadcaster enormously yeah enormously and yeah as you say I can relate so much more to the stories that I'm reading as a newsreader because you know I, I have kids and I've got a family and I'm doing the juggle and I'm, I'm you know talking about the things that I'm, I'm actually doing and, and living as well but yeah the IVF I was I was public about that because I actually at the time when I was going through it it was so extraordinarily hard and draining and you know the emotional roller coaster all of that is re- very true but I I found it helpful to know that I wasn't alone yeah. going through that. So I kind of figured that the more people talk about it and make it normal and you realise that you're not – you know, it's so common. So many of people course. have fertility issues and, again, you know, it's not a, a big issue. We know so many people go through IVF mm. these days. So I just thought, you know what, if I can help someone else who's going through that to, to realise they're not – on their own Mm. then that's worth talking about it also brings a bit of depth to you too because there is a sense you know when you are a performer in whatever area you know you don't bring your stuff to the on-air job so there is a sense because you've got to turn on that everything's fine and everything's okay and and you know when I think it's important to admit that you know what even though I'm on tv all the time in my tv makeup and I'm looking like that's my job to bring my a game every time but bad stuff happens to us too behind the scenes it is difficult and I think that helps you an audience relate to you and I think that's important too with as you say it does help you in your career rather than hinder you and I think networks know that and realize that and you know I was I was pregnant on air with all of my kids I had the big belly and you know that's the reality I had a couple of letters and emails from from some viewers did you when I was when I was pregnant with Audrey who's now 18 months doing the today show there was when I was I mean you know I'd was heavily pregnant and I had one email from a viewer just saying calling me disgusting and saying that I shouldn't be on air get that disgusting belly off and I actually replied to that email because a lot of people email in and don't realize that you are a person yes. and that you can see those emails and so I replied and then the person who sent me the, who was a woman the, who sent me the email said 
um, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. And it's like, how could, what, yeah, yeah, what other way could I have taken that? that? Yeah. But I, I sort of talked about that on air because I, I just thought it's worth people knowing. Yes. And it's an issue to talk about because, you know, hey, women have babies and why should we be in our moo-moos at home on the couch, you know? Um, and why should I wear dresses that don't show my pregnant belly when I went through so much to become pregnant? Mm. I mean, Audrey was a complete accident. Our baby, who we didn't think we would ever have uh, a child naturally, and we we fell pregnant naturally with her. And so she was, you know, I wanted to embrace that yeah. and show it off and be proud of it. So, yeah, look, I just think I think I think the sort of days of women falling pregnant and having kids obviously people do have different experiences and their careers might go a different way and sure it still happens in in the media game and in other industries too where women are treated badly when they come back from maternity leave or they go on maternity leave but thankfully that's not that they're isolated incidents I Mm, think mm. very much so uh what do you think's the best and the worst thing about the industry wow um so I think the best thing is that you're just always learning new stuff and it's it's a way of kind of feeding my innate curiosity. Mm. So I, I find that really great. And, you know, the early mornings on breakfast TV, they're hard, but once you're in here, it's great. You, you know, the, I'm always learning new stuff. So that's I find that the best thing. I think the worst thing is that the way that the industry has changed so that there aren't as many opportunities for young and upcoming journos in the regions or just across the board. Like it, the competition is really fierce. And to, I mean, it, it, you can kind of look at the glass half full and think that if you want to make it, you've got to fight really hard for it, which I think there's always been that element of tough competition, but I think it's even tougher than mm-hmm. it ever has been. So that's that to me is unfortunate that the regional centres – aren't as strong as they used to but given that like nine's just invested a hell of a lot of money in the regional the regional news bulletins which is really heartening Mm. to see that we're presenting regional bulletins and we're employing journos camera operators the whole thing because i think that's so key to get this next generation up and coming that's it because it's and it's yeah it's good because you're investing in the future then because your future deb knights are just sitting out there and you're writing their little letters to the (laughs) editor sitting in your regional (laughs) centers just waiting to be found uh right final five questions your biggest regret my biggest regret you know what i don't i don't know Maybe you know, not. Maybe not fine tuning my kind of love of gymnastics to a later <laughs> into my later years because I got a bit of a bad lower back. Oh. I reckon I should have kept that gymnastics action happening from when I was a young kid. Should've, That's my biggest regret for my lower back it. issues. I think for all of our sakes, I wish you'd done that too because it would be great to see you cartwheel on every oh, morning yeah. onto oh, the. T- do my back when I try to do that. <laughs> um, your dream gig. Probably being a, a travel reporter. That would be my dream gig. Oh, like a getaway style. Yeah, I'd love to do getaway. How <laughs> yeah. good would that be? I, I wonder though, it looks so amazing. I know, in the, you know, but you go, it's actually just planes and racing in yeah. and out of places. But I'd like to kind of tailor that dream gig to my own v- version of the dream gig so yes. that it is all the glamour. And none of the mundane stuff of maybe you planes. just need to pay get somebody to pay you to go on holiday and you can blog about it. There you go. There you <laughs> There's go. There's an idea. Um, is there any idea that you have yet to get up? Have you got any book 
books in you? Do you want to make a film? Are you? Is there anything oh. waiting to brew or brewing at the moment? I'd, I would like to write um, to write a, lot, a bit more, and maybe I mean I've thought about doing a children's book because I'm always reading stories to my own kids, and you know we're always doing silly expressions, and my husband's always doing made up stories to the kids. So yeah, I think I've got a I've probably got a book in me that, mm-hmm. that's waiting to uh, to gestate. That can be my newest newest baby, maybe a book. <laughs> but yeah, you know. I, I think writing, doing a bit more writing is something that I'd like to do. Children's books seem to be the thing du jour. Oh, look, you know? I know. I don't want to sort of be jumping on a bandwagon, but yeah, I'd like to do something that my kids would really love. Yeah. So I think they would really appreciate that. Uh, if you weren't doing this, as in working in media, what would you be doing? I might be a school teacher. You yeah. got a bit of the school teacher about school. you. I like doing canteen duty at the school because <laughs> yeah. I like kind of, you know, t- telling the kids – What's, Don't get what's a the magic word? <laughs> oh, okay. Say please. I reckon I'd be the. They would hate me. You know. Yeah. I'd be, Mrs. Knight would be coming down tough on us. Yeah. I, I can do the teaching thing, or maybe a librarian. You know, surrounded oh, by yeah. the books and stuff. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, and finally, your advice to people wanting to get into the business: just be really sure that that's the field that you want to be in, and also don't just want to be a superstar. I just think a lot of young up and coming journalism students just want to be on the telly and don't want to tell stories I think yeah just you really want to finesse the craft of journalism but not just be ahead Mm. kind of who is a a superstar and I think that's a mistake a lot of people make they just want to get their head on the box and you can't really get to that point until you've done the work well and also it's not about that it's Mm. about telling you're not the story yeah you're telling the story so I think yeah I think that's a bit of a mistake that people make. And they want to get their five minutes of fame and think that maybe being on the telly would be the way to do that. But And what a ridiculous you know. thing to aim for. I like know. fame is the worst part of the job, you know. As she peels off all the makeup so she's unrecognisable. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, no, I, I think that's that's really key. You've got to want to tell stories, not be the story. Well, uh, Deb, now you can go home and have Thank a little you. nap or something. Thank you. Thank you so much for chatting with me. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to You've Got to Start Somewhere. Thanks. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to you've got to start somewhere.com. Thanks so much for listening to my chat with Deb Knight to Londash, who left me a little comment at iTunes. I hope you have enjoyed the fact that this has been two ladies in a row. Unfortunately, I'm going to break the streak because next week, Ross Greenwood from Channel 9 is joining me on the podcast and he reveals a little bit of a secret talent. Rupert Murdoch at that time had a serious fight with the RMIT in Melbourne and its journalism school. And he basically decided that he didn't like the journalism school there, that that taught them all the wrong things. And so he decided that he would hire his own tutors and his own shorthand teachers and his own everything. And so we used to have to go off to cadet classes once a week and basically be grilled by somebody about what was going on. And then we'd have to go to shorthand classes. And we weren't allowed to be graded from our cadetship until we had at least 80 words a minute shorthand, of which I still have today. Can you do shorthand? Oh, brilliantly! Really? I'm gonna. I, I mean, I, I'm gonna ask you for a little quick lesson when we. Or now, now, now is good. Just on the back of a bit of paper. Okay, please. I am going to ask you for a quick lesson. There we go. So there you go. So court reporting had to. <laughs>
If you're court reporting, you had to have it. So I'm one of the few people who can write hieroglyphics these days. I hope you'll join me for that chat again. Thank you so much. If you have left a review in iTunes, shout out to Zoe96 and Ben Lux One. I really appreciate all the support for the program. And if you are one of the lovely individuals that voted for the podcast in the podcast awards, thank you because it has actually made it through to the next round. So from this point on, we keep our fingers crossed and see what happens. But thank you for taking the time to knock this little show into the next round. I'll see you next week for my chat with Ross Greenwood. 